The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7009-1000. morning and welcome. We've got a number of guests here this morning. It is good to have you here. Isn't it beautiful that we can worship God in all the languages of the earth? Turn with me to Romans this morning, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 17. We're going to read all the way down to chapter 11, and then we're going to read down to verse 6 of chapter 11. Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, the sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses, first Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Esaias is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Chapter 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, have they killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, works is no more work. Thank God for his word. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Romans chapter 10 this morning. We'll be parked in Romans 10 for our time together. May I encourage you to find your identity in Christ. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you ever seen someone in a position of extreme privilege 
and then suddenly they went off the rails. Maybe it's the son of a prominent politician. He's lived in the home where he's never had to want anything. He doesn't know what it means to be hungry. And then one day he just goes off the rails. You're left with a question. What happened to him? I think one case that could easily slip our minds is this week marks the two-year anniversary of the torture and murder of Jenilyn Kennedy. And yet, that son of privilege still awaits a trial. Or perhaps a pastor falls morally, misuses funds, falls off the rails has been given an opportunity and throws it away. And we're left wondering, what happened to him? I think of the Last Supper, the disciples sitting around the table with Jesus. If ever there was a place to sit, oh, it would have been that moment in history. And I can just imagine as Jesus girt himself with a towel and from one to the next washed their feet. And in amongst their midst was one, Judas. Judas was given every opportunity that all the rest of the apostles received. What happened to that guy? Even in that moment, if you remember from the book of John, Jesus, the story is told where Jesus says to the disciples, He says, one of you will betray Me. And the disciples are so confused in that moment because they're looking at each other going, we have served with Jesus. We've seen the Son of God be transformed. We've seen things happen. John's got a look on his face. The book of John describes this. It's a very quick moment that we can look over and just walk past in the verses as John's got a look on his face like, what, huh? How's that even work? And Peter motions to him. I'll let you read the text later. Peter motions to him. Ask him. Ask Jesus. Who is it? Jesus makes it very clear. He says, it's the one with whom I will dip the sop and I will pass it to him. That guy is the one that's going to go and betray me. And it was so far out of their minds that when Jesus dipped the sop and handed it to Judas, the Scriptures tell us that the disciples did not even pick up on that moment, even though Jesus had foretold it. They think he's going out. Maybe he's going to go and give something to the poor or purchase something that we needed. The sop. It was a normal thing in the Passover meal. It was a sign of love and friendship. It was normal that when the host of the Passover meal wanted to show friendship and love to someone in the group, dip the sop and pass it to him. Jesus gave every opportunity to Judas. And we're left with a question as Judas, within 24 hours, hangs himself. What happened to that guy? We come into this passage in Romans chapter 10 and we see this very same question arise in this passage. And here's the question. It will be the topic for today's sermon. What happened to Israel? 
If ever there was a people that was given an opportunity, a nation that was given an opportunity from the very moment of their own inception, from the time that God called Abraham out, you were not a people. You were not even a nation. And I have adopted you as my son is God's words. I've taken you as my own. If ever there's been anybody that's ever had an opportunity, and then I can just say words and it will bring to your mind miracles, the Red Sea, manna, Jericho. And your mind will immediately race to all of the things that God has manifoldly blessed the people of Israel with. What happened to them? As we've walked through the book of Romans, we've seen so clearly that God has opened the Gospel to all people, but do not think for one moment that God was closed to some and only open to others. Oh no, throughout history, God has always been opened to all people. That's evidenced by the fact that He sent Jonah to Nineveh, Israel's own enemy. He sent Jonah, go and help those people to know Me. But God gave a special, special kindness to the people of Israel. And now as we've walked through Romans, we come into chapter 9, 10, and 11. Has God forgotten Israel? Has He given His back towards them? And we know, we've seen it repeated, God never forgets His promises. He always keeps His promises. And yet, the people of Israel, you see in chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul makes this statement, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In other words, they are not. Because they've tried to find their righteousness in their own good deeds. They are not saved. They have not come to Christ. I see in verse 2, he says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They want to follow God, but they're doing it in the wrong way. Please, do not buy into the thought that says all roads lead to God. It doesn't work that way. If it worked that way, Paul would not say they have a zeal that is not according to knowledge. He would say they've just taken a different path. And yet, God is so very clear If you try your own way, you are bringing your own goodness and your own righteousnesses before God, and those will be counted as filthy rags in His sight. He has provided the one and only thing that will take your sin and give you righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For He hath made Him, God made Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. At the cross, God took all of our sin, placed it on Jesus, gave His righteousness to us. And that leaves us with one thing to do. Trust Him. And over and over in the book of Romans, he makes it very clear, if you will trust Jesus, He will give you His righteousness. He will justify you. He will make you right with God. That comes by trusting in Jesus, not by doing your own good works. And yet, again and again, that is what Israel tried. We will bring our own righteousness before God, and it will not work. And Instead, we've seen in the last two weeks that the word of faith is nigh thee, It's in your mouth. It's even in your heart that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Oh, so close to you. And yet, we push away. And the nation of Israel did that very thing. 
He makes the statement in verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We hear the Word of God proclaimed, the Gospel proclaimed, we trust it, and then we have faith and He saves us. We call upon Him and He saves us. He alone is the one who can save us. We cannot save ourselves. Oh, be careful, friend. There is nothing that you can do in this life to make yourself right with God. It is impossible. You will fall short over and over. Faith will only come by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so that brings us to the first of three questions that Paul asks in this passage. When I see this overarching idea, what happened to Israel? Paul's going to give us three questions. I'll point them out and then we'll walk back through them. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 starts with the question, Have they not heard? Then verse 19, Did not Israel know? And then in chapter chapter 11 and verse 1, Hath God cast away His people? So three very clear questions, and He answers each one of those three questions. And I'll take those three questions to give us our outline for today. So let's start with the first one. Did they not hear? Verse 18. Did they not hear hear about Jesus from a preacher? You remember that question came up in Romans 10, verse 14 last week. How should they hear? except they have a preacher, and how will they have a preacher except he be sent? And so the question then arises, perhaps did Israel not hear? Is that why they did not follow after Jesus? Did they not hear? Maybe somehow God sent the gospel out to the world and excluded Israel. Is that possible? And the answer is found very quickly in verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. This is an Old Testament response. This is a quote. Many times in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he says, as it is written. This time he did not use the phrase, as it is written. He just goes straight to the quotation. This quote comes from Psalm 19 and verse 4. Again, like so many of the other quotes from the Old Testament, that Verse falls within a context in the Old Testament. A Jewish mind would pick it up immediately. Hours might slip past it. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 3. You might remember these verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And then verse 4 is this very same statement. Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. God did not hold back. In the Old Testament times, He did not hold back His own revelation from even the Gentiles who were at the ends of the earth. He did not hide Himself. And even as He spreads forth the Gospel, He did not hold it back from the Jewish people. We have New Testament examples of this, and the New Testament examples are very clear. The book of Acts, in chapter 2, you might remember the day of Pentecost. It had been 50 days from the crucifixion, the Passover. 50 days since then. It's now Pentecost. For 40 days, Jesus had been with them, and then now we have the 10-day period where Jesus had told them, go and wait in the upper room. I will send the Holy Spirit, just wait. And I can only imagine what it must have been like for ten days to wait in the upper room and think, is today the day? I don't know. And they keep waiting. 
And then the Holy Spirit fell on them, and it fell in a way that those guys were unmistakably understanding the Holy Spirit has fallen upon us and they stepped out and went into the Temple Mount and they began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and they proclaimed with power. There were hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem for Pentecost. There were three days in each year that Jewish men were supposed to come to Jerusalem. Pentecost was one of them. Passover, by the way, was one of them. And now they are here Pentecost, seven weeks later, and it's time for the Pentecost, and they are there for that celebration and that feast, and Peter steps out onto the Temple Mount, and he proclaims the gospel of Jesus. And in that day, 3,000 men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ and were baptized that day. Now I want to share with you, Acts chapter 2 and verse 5 gives us an insight into that. Here's what it says. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. They'd come from all over. Here they are. Out of every nation under heaven. So when we come into Romans chapter 10 and verse 18, and he makes the statement that the words of God have been sent forth into the ends of the world, he hasn't held back from any part of it. Then in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul speaks about of whom the gospel has gone. And here's what he says in Colossians 1 and verse 23, the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Here's a statement. God didn't hold back. He sent out the gospel to the ends of the world. It went out. And to the Jewish people, he did not hold back. So when the question arises, did they not hear? Did the Jewish people not get the message? Did it not come to them? Think with me, even as Paul would go from town to town. Remember where he would go when he first came into a new town? He'd go to the Jewish synagogue. And he would start right there, and he would proclaim the gospel until they ran him out. You see, God didn't hold back the gospel from the Jewish people. What about Israel? Did they not hear? Nope, that's not the reason. They heard, and it came very clear to their ears. They rejected. Look back into chapter 9 and verse 31. You see in chapter 9 and verse 31, the reason that Israel stumbled. Verse 31, but Israel, which followed Israel, after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. The very thing that they sought after, they could not get. Brothers and sisters, please do not try to bring your righteousness before God because you can never be fully righteous. Not on your own. I cannot bring anything before Him. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I need His righteousness. I cannot bring my own. For my own will be but a filthy rags and a stinking stench in His nostrils. For He gave the only thing that will make me righteous, namely His Son on the cross. I must trust Jesus alone cannot bring anything before Him. So why, verse 32, why is it that they could not attain the law of righteousness? See it in verse 32. Wherefore, or why? Because they sought it not by faith, 
but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone who is whom, verse 33, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. Why was it that they stumbled over Jesus? Because Jesus was the one who said, you are not righteous in yourself. You need Jesus. But to them who believe, we will not be ashamed. We will call Him our chief cornerstone. We will build our faith upon Him. So you cannot bring your righteousness before Him. That's why they rejected. Why would they send Him to the cross? Oh, they have not trusted Him. Did they hear? Oh, absolutely they heard Him. But they chose to reject. Now verse 19, we continue in these questions. The first question, did they not hear Second question, did they not know? Look at verse 19, you'll see the question. But I say, did not Israel know? Maybe they don't understand. Maybe they heard, but they didn't really grasp the message. Maybe it didn't come to them clearly. So maybe they didn't understand. Maybe they don't see that God has revealed Himself to them. Maybe they don't understand who Christ is. As I begin to think through maybe a modern example of this, for me, I think of some of the great theologians through history, and that's where my mind goes because I love the theologians. And so I think back to Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon had two sons. They were twins. Perhaps one of the greatest preachers of modern time. I say he would preached to a crowd of 20,000 plus with no microphone. Amazing. Must have had an amazing voice. By the time he was 20 years old, he was world-renowned preacher. He'd preached over 600 times. People would come from all over to hear him preach the gospel. Many of his sermons have been written down theologically deep. Such an amazing preacher. He had two boys, twin brothers. Could you imagine being those twin brothers and growing up in the house of Charles Spurgeon? Like, I just think, what would devotions like with that guy? All right, boys, let's sit down. It's time for us to have our devotions together. And those two kids grew up just thinking, he's our dad. Okay, so maybe that doesn't strike you. Let me, let me try a different one. What about Barack Obama's daughters? Could you imagine growing up as Barack Obama's daughters? Sasha and Malia, they were 10 and 7 when their dad was voted in as president. So let's rewind the clock for them two years before the presidential election. They're 8 and 5. And you can see Michelle cooks the dinner, brings it to the table, and the kids sit down with the guy that is about to become the most powerful man on the planet. And he's just dead. And they don't grasp the idea that he's pretty important. And sometimes they eat their meal, and like little kids do, they sometimes decide, I don't want to eat today. That's just what kids do. And they tell him, no. Can you just get that through your mind? Somebody told Obama, no. It was his kids. And then one day a light switch, bulb, light bulb goes off, switch flips in their mind and they realize, oh no, our dad is somebody that's a little bit different because when he stands, they stick microphones in front of him and everybody listens and the other kids don't get secret service special protection at school. Something must be different about our dad. You see this? 
So perhaps for the people of Israel, maybe they heard, but maybe they didn't really fully understand. Maybe they didn't grasp how important it was for them to listen. And he says, did they know? And the answer is, yes, absolutely, they knew, but they rejected. So watch in verse 19 as he develops this. Did not Israel know first? So the first means there's going to be a second. So hang on for the second. We'll get it in just a moment. First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Again, an Old Testament reference. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21. As Moses says to them, I will use those people who have not been blessed as much as you have. I will use, and notice the phrase that he uses, by them that are no people. In other words, you, Israel, are a people. Called you out from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and twelve tribes. And out of Egypt I've called you, you're my son. You are a people, and you've rejected me, so I will turn and I will go to a people who are not a people. They don't have that lineage and heritage. I'll turn and go to them. And by doing that, and by turning from you, I will set you to jealousy. So I'm going to accept these, and you're going to be so jealous about this. That's the first answer. The second answer is in verses 20 and 21. He makes this statement, but Isaiah is very bold. I just love that phrase. Because the people of Israel continually persecuted the prophets, and for the prophets to say the things they did, they had to be bold. And Isaiah is very bold when he says, and he knows that there might be ramifications, they might just take his life. He was very bold, and he said, this is Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he says, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. This is Isaiah's bold statement. He's not afraid to call out Israel. Did you know? Yes, absolutely you knew. And here's the picture. God stood there with His arms outstretched. Oh Israel, come to me. I've cared for you and shown you great care. I've done wonderful, marvelous things for you. And you've turned your back on me. Did you not know? Yes, you knew. And a people who are not a people have found me. I wasn't having them seek after me. They just happened to stumble across me. And in this moment, I've made you jealous. Seeking them out and grace has found them. Friend, I'm thankful for grace. And as a Gentile, I can easily say I'm so thankful that God gave us the opportunity. Let us be very careful that we don't look on Israel with contempt and say, you who were a people turned your back on God. Shame on you. For oh, how easy it is for us to turn our back on a gracious and giving God. Third question. We're still asking this overarching idea. What happened to Israel? So there's a third question, and it comes in chapter 11. Look at verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? So maybe, the question here is, maybe it was God who did the rejecting. They heard, they knew, they understood, but maybe it's God who's doing the rejecting. I mean, maybe God's tired of them. But then that doesn't quite reconcile with the fact that God always keeps His promises. 
So this doesn't work in my mind. I can't reconcile these two together. So maybe was it God that just rejected them and said, I've had enough of you and I'm going to go to the Gentiles? Is that how it works? Absolutely not. Look in verse 11, uh, chapter 11 and verse 1 again. I say then, has God cast away his people? Answer very shortly, God forbid. Strongest way possible in the scriptures to say no. Has God cast them away? No. Has he done away with them, pushed them away? No. And he's going to give us two examples that this is the case. The first one is he himself. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Jew. It doesn't get much more Jewish than me is the statement he makes. See it in verse 1. I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm an Israelite. It doesn't get any more Jewish than this. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Why would he point out the tribe of Benjamin? I won't take the time to develop all of it, but let me give you some of the highlights. The people of the tribe of Benjamin, the people of Benjamin were almost wiped out in the times of the judges. There was a little of the nation of Israel, 11 tribes fought against the one tribe, Benjamin, and almost completely wiped them out to the point that there were only 600 Benjamites remaining. Can you imagine if they had wiped out one entire tribe? They realize it as they are winning the war. They realize we're about to destroy one of our own tribes and they stop. Those 600 men were hiding. And in God's grace, those people of Benjamin regrew from that small tribe. They regrew and repopulated. One of them became the first king of Israel. You might remember him, King Saul. A Benjamite. I wonder, I don't have good scripture for this, but I can't help but wonder if Paul, his former name Saul, can't help if he was perhaps a namesake of King Saul. The Benjamites, it's an important thing for them. Yea, even for a large portion of Jacob's life, Benjamin was the favored son. Let me rephrase that. Benjamin was the favorite of Israel. So for when Paul makes a statement, I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, you don't get much more Jewish than me. That's what he's saying. So has God turned his back? Has God cast away Israel? Answer, no, absolutely not. I am exhibit A of God still saves Jewish people. That's what he's saying. And then he continues on. He gives another example. This is in verses 2 to 4. Verse 2. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, or don't you know, what the scripture says of Elias. That's Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. 
The other example is Elijah. So now we go backwards from an example in the New Testament to an example in the Old Testament. Look in the Old Testament at Elijah. And if ever there was a time when the nation had gone into apostasy, it was the time when they went after Baal under the king, kingdom of Ahab. And you remember that story. Three and a half years, it did not rain. During that time, Elijah on the run from Ahab, and he hood, hid by the brook Cherith. And you remember the ravens came and fed him there. Then he went to Zarephath and a widow fed him there from her last food that God kept at the last food. Both faith and faith. And then the day came when Elijah showed himself to King Ahab and he says, Hey, Ahab, God has sent me so that we can have a showdown and see who really is God. And you might remember the day when they set up two altars, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the grove on one side and Elijah on the other side. You remember that story. And these guys, the 450 prophets of Baal, they were trying to call fire down from heaven. And as they called down fire from heaven, the scripture says that they cut themselves. That's stupid. And then... In order to try to really show that they really wanted the fire, they climbed up on the altar. That's stupider. I don't even know if that's a word, but I made it up. And there they stood on the top of the altar and said, Please, Baal, show your might and power and fall on us. And do you remember the things that Elijah said from the other side? Hey, you need to shout a little louder because maybe your God is asleep. Add in a couple extra versions of that. Wow. I have no idea what's going on over there. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I can just imagine as Elijah mocked them. Wow. Off is a good word. Those guys are the prophets of Baal trying to call down fire upon themselves and Elijah is mocking them. You see that picture? And then it comes the time for Elijah to call down fire. And you remember what Elijah did to build up the altar. Put the cow on top of it. I want 12 big buckets of water. Pour them on it. Make sure that everything's soaking wet. And then he steps back and he prays. And when he prayed, God sent fire down and consumed the altar, consumed the water that was around it, showed his might in that moment. If ever there was a moment for Elijah to be on top of the world, as he says, look how great our God is. In fact, he said, boys, let's round up these 450 prophets, took them down to the waterside, killed them all. Man, talk about a guy on the top of his spiritual high. 24 hours later, you find him hiding in the wilderness under a tree, afraid for his life. I don't know if bipolar was a diagnosis back then, but that guy went from high, high to low, low. And here's Elijah hiding under the tree, and God appears to him. What's your problem, Elijah? And do you remember what Elijah said? God, I am the only one on the planet that's still serving you. And goes, 
Hang on, hang on, hang on, Elijah. You are not omnipotent. You don't know all the things that I know. And I know, and catch these words. This is 1 Kings 19, verse 18, and it's quoted right here in Romans chapter 11 and verses 3 and 4. And here's what he says. He says, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God is not done, and He always has a remnant of people that will follow Him. By the way, Elijah, you don't know everything that I know. Now notice the words that are here. Has God done away with Israel? And even in Israel's darkest day spiritually, where the king made it against the law to worship God and told the people that they had to worship Baal and those who worshipped had to go into hiding so much so that their own prophet didn't know that they even existed. Even in that day, God had not cast away Israel. He still had those who were following him. That was the example that's given here. Has he cast them away? Absolutely not. He's kept them, kept them to himself. Now look in verse 5 as he takes it from Elijah's day and brings it to present. This is present for Paul writing. It's present continuing even to today. Verse 5. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the, grace, the election of grace. Here's what he's saying. Did they not hear? Yes, they heard. The majority of them rejected because they loved their own righteousness. Did they not know? Did they not understand? Yes, they understood, but they rejected Him because they wanted their own righteousness. Did God cast them away? Absolutely not. God did not cast them away. But God has preserved for Himself a remnant from those people. It's Paul. It's 7,000. It's to this day. It's continued on as a Remnant, yes, even among the people of Israel today, even today there are Jewish believers. Those who have trusted Christ. But I want you to notice there's a phrase that is added at the end of verse 5 that is so very important to see. Even to this present time, also there is a remnant. Here's the phrase. According to the election of grace. In other words, those 7,000 that did not bail the knee and did not just knock down the altars, but dig down the altars, those 7,000, they have not bowed the knee. It's not because in and of themselves they are such great people, but because God, by His grace, has enabled them to do this. Oh, look at the next verse, for this is an important thing for us to understand. And if by grace, verse 6, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So if it is by works that we obtain righteousness, it's no more of grace. I don't want to ever find myself doing away with God's grace. I need His grace. Starting at the throne and flowing through the cross, I need His grace. If I bring my works, it will negate His grace. Oh, don't go there, friend. Don't come before God with your righteousnesses. Look at what I've done. I've been baptized. I've prayed a prayer. I came to church. I paid my tithes. Don't bring those things before Him. Oh, those are the things that will happen as a result of His grace transforming your life. They are never the things that obtain your righteousness. Set aside your own righteousness. Cling alone to the cross of Christ. So what happened to Israel? Our overarching question, what happened to Israel? 
Oh, they went about to establish their own righteousness. And I hope that in your mind this morning, you ask this question. Pastor, why do we keep coming back to this same thing? We've done it for three chapters now. Why do we keep coming back to the fact that grace and works are mutually exclusive? You do not take 50% of your works and add them to 50% of God's grace and somehow now you become righteous. No, you get the one or you get the other. And I've got bad news for you. If you're going with the works, you'll come up short every time. Galatians chapter 3, for those who continue in the law must continue to continue in all of the law. There's no end to it. So therefore, I must put 0% of my good works and 100% nothing but the blood of Jesus. I cling to the cross alone, and I come to Jesus, for it is in Him alone that I am found righteous. So why do we keep coming to this over and over? Because it's such an easy thing to get wrong. And there are eternal implications. It's so easy to get this wrong, friend. It's so easy to come to church and hear the gospel preached and ask this question, what do I need to do? We all want to do something at our core. I want to do something. I see that I'm sinful against God. I want to do something. And the answer is, you cannot do anything. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The word of faith is nigh thee. It's even in your mouth. It's in your heart that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so it's zero of my works and it's all of his grace. I think back to Judas sitting around the table. One of the most wonderful places in all of history to have been. The discourse that takes up the largest portion of the book of John. As he made promises, I go to prepare a place for you. I will not leave you helpless. I will send a comforter. Of all the places in the world to sit. And while Jesus was saying these things, Judas had different things going through his mind. Jesus is the road to my riches. Jesus is the way that I'll get a position. If I but betray him tonight, give him over to the hands of the chief priests, I'll get a little bit of money and a whole lot of prestige with them. I wonder this morning, if Jesus is the one who saves your soul and gives you your righteousness, or if Jesus is just the one who paves the way for you to a better life. Oh, do not be mistaken. You must come to him in faith. It was asked in this sermon, what happened to Judas? It was asked in the passage today, what happened to Israel? I hope that it would never be asked of you, what happened to you? Father, I pray that we would take the time this morning to look upon ourselves. Oh, we have heard. We've heard the gospel. 
and we understand. The Gospel has come clearly. I pray we would not reject. And you have not cast us away. In the very same way that Israel would come to you by faith today, the very same way we also would come to you by faith. And so I pray that we would not cast you away in our minds. But instead, I pray that we would come to you. Lord, I pray we would come confessing with our mouths, believing in our hearts. With heads bowed and eyes closed, could I ask you to stand with me this morning for a time of invitation? I'd like to give an opportunity. Perhaps you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ. You've heard the gospel preached over the last several weeks so clearly. You say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. I'd like to give you an opportunity this morning. Would you come? You just slip out from where you're at. Just walk down here to the front. I'd be happy to pair you off with someone who can show you from Scripture how you can put your trust in Christ. The word of faith, it's near you. It's even in your mouth. It's in your heart. I would hate for one day for it to be asked, what happened to that guy? What happened to that lady? They came for service. They heard the gospel. They rejected Is there one among us? Altar's open, you can come. So Father, thank you for the opportunity to love you. Thank you for your outstretched arms. I pray that we would not reject you today. There'd be some among us who have not put their trust in Christ. I pray they would not go home without speaking to someone about that. Lord, you are long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. It's in your beautiful name we ask these things. Amen. Lord. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.